Welcome to the Bike Pack Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike travel. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, hear fantastic stories of their journeys. And through both mine and my guests' experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike travel and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. I want to thank Panorama Cycles, Redshift Sports, Restrap, Race Day Fuel, and Brockton Cyclery for supporting Bike Pack Adventures and helping to keep me on the bike. Check out the show notes for more information about these amazing companies. Thanks and keep on pedaling. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Bike Pack Adventures podcast. As with the last episode, I am probably in Japan at somewhere at this point in time. And theoretically, because I'm recording this before I leave Canada, uh, the 15-hour flight was brutal. I probably watched way more movies than I should have and did way less on my computer than I ought to have. Uh, but, you know, that's the way it is. Uh, but hopefully I'm wrong. And I spent all that time working on content for Bikepack Adventures and catching up on things that I just don't get done at home. One of those big things I'm really hoping I got through a few of them is producing and uh, matching up the audio to the video from the summit and producing a couple of those episodes, the the present presentations. So fingers crossed on that one as well. Um, yeah. So anyways, uh, in this episode of the Bikepack Adventures podcast, I am speaking with Robert Byron, better known as Salty Beard Bikepacking. Now, if you are not aware of who he is, uh, definitely recommend you check out his YouTube. He's uh, about three years ago, he started really putting a lot more effort and time into making YouTube videos of his bikepacking adventures, whether it was just out for a casual weekend ride or gear he uses or how he sets up his hammock. He's really connected with the people. He's grown a huge following, a uh, huge, I mean, uh, you know, it's it, it goes faster and faster. So he's he does have a big following on YouTube, which is pretty awesome. And um, yeah, and recently he's even went and developed his own uh, bikepacking, I guess we could call it like a, an ITT race route. So it's never going to have a grand depart. It's not meant to, at least as far as I know. It's like 1,350 kilometers with almost 20,000 meters of climbing. And it's all over like the northern part of Vancouver Island, which uh, is a really big island in the west of Canada, if you don't know. I don't know. There's a ton of coastline there, too, because it's in and out of coves all over the place. Anyway, so he has designed a route there that is meant to be kind of like a race, but it's a photographic evidence race. So you are meant to take pictures at certain points. And you can get time bonuses. And it was really interesting. Like so many details I didn't even know of because I just, I see his posts. I see his content, but um, I'm not out there. And it's not really on my radar at the moment. But uh, so I haven't really delved deep into Caves and Coves. So yeah, it was really cool to hear more about it and hear more about uh, how Salty Beard, um, you know, lives his life and all those things. So anyways, I'm rambling because this is completely off the how do you say? Uh, anyways, off the cuff. And uh, I'm kind of tired. I got to get some sleep. It's 9 o'clock p.m. And I got to get up at 3. So, yeah. 
Anyways, that is it. I uh, hope you guys enjoy the show. It was a really cool conversation. I should have kept recording because actually after we stopped the recording, I think we talked for like another 45 minutes and I was sitting there, we're just talking, you know? I think it was like 11.30 p.m. and I was like, ah, oh, I got to get up early in the morning for Jasmine. And But we were just having a great conversation and I kind of look over and I'm like, man, I should just push the record button again. But, you know, we ended it. We were just uh, casually chatting and it was great. So... Um, Rob, it was really great talking to you, and I uh, hope everybody enjoys the conversation. Hey, Robert, welcome, or Rob, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Chris. Welcome to be aboard. I'm glad to have a finally have a chance to talk with you. I mean, I've been following your stuff for, well, I mean, I've been seeing a lot of your stuff for a couple of years now, and uh, you know the way it goes. Life gets in the way, and then finally things manage to, to all tie together. How true, how true. So, um... Yeah, tell us about yourself. I mean, oh well. Um, let's see. I have a background in oceanering and oceanography, but I spent most of my uh, years cutting my teeth in um, in newspaper industry and uh, magazine industry as an art director and a photographer. And then, uh, basically, around 2010, when the U.S. recession finally hit, I kind of made a uh, career direction and went into the federal government and um, oh. and uh, cycling wise though I've been cycling since a little kid I uh, was kind of one of those those kids that would just grab dad's 10 speed and go in the back roads and and be gone for a weekend and uh, I uh, I skied all winter and water skied and cycled all summer and uh, and that was pretty much life for me for the, the longest time and then Got heavy into mountain biking and um, did some sponsored racing, semi-sponsored racing between, oh, okay. uh, yeah, between the bike barn and Rocky Mountain, and um, and kind of did that for a while, and uh, then life started taking shape and cycling kind of took a back seat, but I still went mountain biking as much as I could, and and then kind of full circle things came around uh, after a couple of good injuries. I uh, I was doing a lot of ultra distance cycling with the randoneering out in oh, Ontario. Okay. Yeah. Oh, in Ontario. Yeah. yeah oh, I've, you were down uh, here. Yeah, I've kind of lived all over Canada. Okay. Um, and, and the U.S. Um, I've lived in L.A. in Louisiana. Lived in um, Keswick at a Toronto area. Mm-hmm. Uh, worked in Toronto. I've lived out in Nova Scotia. I've lived in numerous places in Alberta and lots of places in BC okay. and all of, all of my life I've been exploring back roads and, and that. So, I mean, between exploring by either a four by four or bicycle or motorbike for, you know, 35 mm-hmm. years, I've kind of been <clears throat> in every little nook and cranny so, in BC and Alberta. And Okay. And was the Ontario stuff because you were attached to the federal government? Is that uh, the same time? No, it, I was actually at that time, I was the art director for Outdoor Canada magazine. Oh, okay, cool. That's wild. Yeah. So I spent eight years out there. And, as, and as for people, said. actually, I don't think we, uh, I think I pushed record after, but could you introduce yourself? If people might be like, who is this guy? <laughs> That's right. So I am Robert Byron, but, uh, you know, all of my friends affectionately called me salty beard for my big white beard that I have. I've, I've always had some beard or facial hair, but, uh, now it's gone white. So <laughs> how old are you? If you don't uh, mind me asking. I'm 56. Okay. Uh, but uh, I didn't really get into the social media aspect until later. I, I kind of did it on a whim. Uh, it was during COVID, but it wasn't because of COVID. Okay. I <clears throat> would 
always go on bike trips kind of in September when school would go back in a session and I would take a couple of weeks and, and go out and I'd come back and my, my kids that are now out of university, um, I'd come back and they'd see the pictures and they would go, Hey, you know, you should try doing some videos. So I did some videos uh, on a couple of things and showed it to some friends and they were like, Oh, you should start a YouTube channel. So I did for fun and, uh, put a couple of videos out and then I started, uh, uh, my Instagram page kind of more of a way to promote my YouTube mm-hmm. and everything just took off and it's been a blast. Uh, all the people that I've met, um, my cycling background in, in ultra endurance, randoneering and, uh, my own personal style of, of just going on long tours, putting in long days and big miles is just kind of, I know, kind of encapsulates bike packing and, mm-hmm. and then, numerous injuries finally made me slow down uh and that's kind of where my bike packing took off i i needed to not be as aggressive when i rode and take less risks mm-hmm. and so i started bike packing and uh you know define less risks now i ride for 40 hours and i don't feel that's risky <laughs> yeah yeah so where did you grow up did you uh what, what part of canada So I was born in St. Albert, just outside of uh, Edmonton, but at a very young age, I moved to Kamloops. So I spent most of my years in Kamloops as uh, the mountain biking scene was developing in the 80s. I was in Kamloops. So there was a lot of these areas that we were developing for for mountain biking that I rode on my 10-speed when I was a little kid. So uh, that was kind of all the heart of it. And And I never really gravitated toward the free riding uh, group when it when it kind of took off, I stayed with the cross country guys, and I just liked flowy, fast trails. And, and those and, early days of mountain biking were really like not too far off of what gravel biking is now, with a little bit of single double track. That's not overly technical. You oh, know? it was very. We were we were so <clears throat> under bike back then. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the stuff that we were doing now, I mean, yeah, we do it on cross-country bikes and full suspension, but I mean, it was just, you know, it was just a flat bar, yeah. old stump jumper. And like my first bike was a BRC Trekker. I don't even know that brand. <laughs> <laughs> bike rider's choice. It was, it was like in the early eighties. Okay. Yeah. I raced before suspension. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Kudos to you. (laughs) I think my first proper bike was a uh, Cannondale Super V1000, and that was like a 1991 or something bike. So it was, you know, it had an inch and a half of front suspension. So it was pretty sick. My uh, my first sponsored ride was uh, Rocky Mountain um, Cirrus, which was um, an elevated chainstay rigid bike with titanium bladed forks oh cool it was it was like riding a gs ski like you had to be Mm -hmm. going flat out for it to feel smooth oh okay it it was brutal but it was reasonably fast for that era right (laughs) yeah so i was scrolling through your instagram and uh just trying to get timelines and stuff down and i saw that early on you were using a pretty sweat back bar i think it's a jones loop if i my yep it is yeah yep. and uh yeah. you wrote there that you had uh your your wrist was fused so is that like what you're yeah. talking about like just injuries building up and kind of push you towards bikepacking or so in 2012 i was doing some biking in fernie and took a funny over the bars and broke 11 bones and basically shattered my 
the head of my radius and ulna blew apart. So um, along with multiple, you know, injuries, uh, like broken sternum, um, upper chest plate, ribs, um, concussion, broke my right elbow in three places, uh, you know, blew up my wrist. Uh, I later found out four years you know, later that I actually broke my back at the same time, but Holy they didn't crap, catch okay. me. Yeah. Um, so I spent four and a half years off my bike okay. from 2012 to 2016. I didn't get back on the bike. And, um, and the, the Jones barriers was kind of like my savior for cycling. It allowed my, my wrist and my hand to be in a comfortable position while I was riding. And, uh, and then that got me just back on the bike okay. and, and, very comfortable and and uh and i've always been kind of like a one bike kind of guy it's just murphy's law you know you can't afford a big stable of bikes so mm-hmm. i had my i had my jones bar was kind of the best thing and i had a built the rest uh, of the bike around the jones bar right yeah well i picked <laughs> up a i picked up a decent um uh kona carbon uh big kahuna uh, okay. cross-country race bike and and so i kind of just built that out for bike packing uh then i would swap the fork depending if i wanted you know rigid fork for uh, commuting okay. or or faster stuff and i'd run you know two different sets of wheels so i could just flip between a set of skinnies and a set of mountain bike tires i mean i can only put 2.2s on it so it's not like i'm gonna get too fat but uh, yeah yeah but it, it turned out to be a good bike. It's a little bit twitchy for bike packing, but it, uh, it, it held its own. And then I finally decided, you know, this, this last year, um, I wanted to get, a, a new gravel bike. And, and so I hunted around and I got a Kona frame last year. And then over the winter, I just sourced parts and budgeted and finally built that. This well, I spring. think I saw on your YouTube there, you had the, uh, yeah, there was the a bike build. Yeah. Yeah. The bike build video. Yeah, so I, I don't spend much nice. time watching videos on YouTube. I wish I spent more. I just I tend to like with the podcast and stuff. It's like either podcast listening or Instagram scrolling, and that's just the way there's, it goes. But uh, there's so much content to consume. There's mm-hmm. only so much time in the day, and you know most of us still have full time job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I'll try to watch the bike build one. I always like to see what people are building. So tell us about your gravel bike then. <laughs> Uh, so I have a Kona Libre, uh, the mm-hmm. frame is basic, so there's nothing on there, but, um, I'm running things like, um, uh, full rival and force, uh, mullet setup, yeah, mm-hmm. access mullet. Um, uh, I'm currently running, uh, is that electronic kinda, then? Yeah. It's yeah electronic. It is. How do you like um, it? I really love it, but yeah. because of my fused wrist, I'm going to have to run, um, I'm probably going to run two sets of blips. And okay. so oh, yeah. I can I can do all my shifting with my right hand. It'll oh, just okay. be easier. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um running that. Um I'm still running my light bicycle wheel set, carbon wheel set with um industry nine hubs on it. Nice. The whole thing is is SRAM mullet. Um it's a mix between like rival shifters, four cranks, and then everything else is XX1 and oh, sweet. Uh, derailers yeah. XO. It's like the dream um, build. And that, that really brings up your, your mileage, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I was going through too many chains, like 10, 12,000 kilometers a year. And I, I'd have three chains or four chains and I just rotate them every 500 K, but the, the GX chains, they don't last. 
I just chew through them. So oh, do they? Um, I switched all to XX1, and and it's uh, it's really been nice. It's um, interesting. I'm not sure what chain I'm using zip, on my on my. Yeah, uh, I run a zip post for carbon zip post for most of my riding, but okay. then I also run an e silk. Yeah. Okay. And then I have an e silk for when I want to get a little bit rough. I'll throw that on. Uh, Easton stem. Oh, I'm still here. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. yeah you, it was you just cut out too. So yeah, it lagged for a sec. But actually, all the audio um, came back. So, so yeah, carbon good. seat post or an e silk, depending on what I want. Um, Easton stem, but it's been pretty good. I still have some other parts that I want to play around with and and kind of you know swap some things around and just and see what I like. But so far, I'm I'm loving it. It's a really nice stable ride uh fast uh works actually really well in in kind of like the light mountain bike kind of setup um i'm running 30s and 32s on it for most of the time but um for little mountain bike trails i'll run 45s on it are you still running a second bike then or is this the sole bike now uh, no, I still have the other bike. It's kind of in parts because I want to do some changes to it. So it will get uh, built back up, but it's uh, it's going to be running all the same as what I had before. Nothing's really going to change on it. So mm. And the uh, the Kona Libre, like how big a tires can you put on it? You probably get about two inches, right? Like 50s? Uh, 650s, I, I think I can get like 50. Okay. Yeah, it's not as wide as some I of the newer, some, some hold, of them, but, yeah. Um, my thoughts are that hey, if I'm gonna want something over 45, I'm swapping bikes. Yeah, it's a good point. Because then so, you start to override yeah, anyways, yeah. and you're gonna or underride. <laughs> you know, you'll be flying down the trail because you got big enough tires, but you're not the geometry and everything else is off, right? Yeah, and, I, and more so is like if I'm gonna be riding something where I want 50s, then really I'm I'm gonna be on a trail that I want comfort instead so why don't I just grab my mountain bike with with a hundred mil suspension fork and comfortable position and mm-hmm. and you know 2.2s right yeah yeah that makes sense cool so um yeah, yeah you were you were doing run, like randoneering and stuff like what were were you doing like some of the big ones like 1200s and stuff or how big a rides um, I never did get into the bigger ones with the randonneuring group, but um, I mean, you're from Ontario, so you know kind of the lay of the land. So I lived in Keswick. Yep. And uh, I would ride down to um, Steeles and Farrier every day. I don't know where that is. So that's. I'm from so Ottawa. That's not, that's, <laughs> oh, so that's south of Markham. Okay. Yeah. So that's 67K one way every day oh wow so you were doing that just to commute to work or just to commute to work i was doing i was doing 130 a day that is sick 140 a day and then on the weekend i would ride 200 or 300 on the weekend oh wild wild yeah so So, yeah i'm looking to start commuting my 24 and a half kilometers to work um now that i'm officially teaching in just one school and uh you know i i even see some days where i'm like oh yeah but if i want to do a big ride or get out mountain biking and really push some hills the night before it might really suck the next day so i'm already making excuses yeah. in my head but there are no excuses <laughs> that's that's my current commute is 25 one way <laughs> yeah nice yeah um so that's that's what i would do and then i'd go out and you know ride either with the group or i'd if i'd go do some little trip myself i'd just grab stuff and i'd go for a a long haul and i mean this is back in like the early 2000s when i was riding there and uh i raced cyclocross in the fall and it was more so as my little way of kind of a training aspect and 
be able to ride in the in the, the crap weather and mm. i would ride as as late as i could um you know safety permitting i would try to ride year round yeah and even even if it was just to go you know ride on the on the shoulder somewhere but i'd go and ride trails up in Ravenshoe on my on my cycle cross bike and the mountain bikers would just be like what <laughs> nice yeah i get out in the gatineau park sometimes on my gravel bike and people will look at me like you're fucking nuts you know like because they're on they're on if not full squish they got at least front suspension and oh, I'd, like, do I that. I'd go i'd go ride up at blue mountain and uh and and there'd be guys on like six inch bikes and that you know going around and i'd be you know i, I wouldn't be doing drops and stuff like no, that of course you be, roll over them yeah. Be, yeah i'd be cooking along pretty good on like 35s and uh and they just stop and they'd look and they what are you doing here are you lost and i said no i'm from bc and they go oh okay <laughs> that's a good one <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so you uh you you more you jumped into to bike packing and stuff towards 2020 or just before that or uh kind of like uh well when I got back on the bike on 2016 that's kind of okay. when I got got to bike packing the way we know it yeah. now but I mean back in the day it was just grab your bike pack or grab your backpack and and hop on your bike and mm -hmm. go out for a weekend right so you'd ride mountain bike trails out to somewhere and just pitch your tent and you know or sleep in, mm -hmm. in a bivy bag and 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 have fun and drink some beer and and mountain bike back out so i mean that was yeah, it seems, pretty much it back then yeah it seems to be like from the 80s until around 2000 and yeah 17 18 that was that was what bike packing was and all of a sudden it exploded into That's this right. this monster that it is which is amazing though because now there's so many more options and like so many ways that you can individualize yeah. and personalize your own adventure and your rides and and um, and and scale your adventure to your abilities that's mm -hmm. the biggest thing that i find and I, it's a lot more accessible now than it than it used to be and i think part and parcel uh not you know not because of the bikes or because of the bags but i think it's because of the culture and the mindset we've got more routes that are being developed and and it's not like the trails are being developed they're just looking at um again the gravel scene is kind of that mm -hmm. blur between hard hardcore rough you know mixed terrain i mean it was no different than than when i was a kid bombing down logging roads on a 10 speed but but really i mean it's just becoming more accessible for people and i think with that community there's also the the support within the community mm -hmm. where you know it's like there's so many people that i meet that their biggest fear of bikepacking is actually being alone out in the wilderness right? yeah and yeah. and being away from their their more conventional road touring or mountain biking on a on a small scale right where they just go to a mountain bike area and play around on some well-documented trails and that's kind of about it so it's for a lot of people it's it's pushing their comfort zone when it comes to camping not not their fitness and not their riding ability right mm -hmm. so yeah, I think that's yeah, that's a good point. I mean, because I, I think uh, like we had the Canadian Shield Bikepacking Summit uh, a couple months ago, and mm -hmm. and one thing that consistently came up from people was just that that you know fear factor of the unknown, you know. And there's so many unknowns when you're getting into bikepacking and how to how yeah. to take those baby steps and get through to all the little things, you that's know. Right, and there's so many people that I meet. I mean, the biggest fears are wildlife. And uh, what if I get hurt? And what if my bike breaks? Yeah, funny. Those are like the top. 
I got a great three. I got a great wildlife story today. I was out with my daughter in her chariot, uh, and I went up to the top of the Gatineau Hills, and then I was on my way down, and there was a bear in the middle of the road, and it was right where there was like uh, the railings, you know, where there was kind of a drop. So uh, yeah. I stopped, and I'm waiting, and and it's kind of just meandered off the trail, and then three of these guys on the uh, the cross country ski skate things, the roller skates yep. or skis or whatever yep. you call them, uh, <laughs> they come and they're all making noise. So I came up beside them and said yeah there's a bear up there but uh, i'll ride with you guys because if the bear comes out i know i can beat every one of you <laughs> and they're like okay is, good saying that all you have to do is outrun the slowest person yeah exactly you don't have to be the you don't have to be uh the fastest you just don't have to be the slowest <laughs> that's right yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was pretty funny i was just like oh yeah skiers those are perfect i can ride with them yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah. And and so I mean that's that's what I see is is just the community is now rallying and I, and I think just the the all inclusive mindset of the bike like bike packers specifically right um, you know mountain bikers you know have a mindset roadies have a mm-hmm. mindset and and I think bike packing is kind of that blend so i think yeah. that works out really well and and uh and i'm happy to see that uh i mean i'm involved with um, um a group that we have down here on the island called uh bike pack collective the vancouver island bike pack collective that's right i saw that yeah. and so yeah so i've partnered with another youtuber that's here on in victoria um sir bikes Kelton. a lot is that who it is sir bikes a lot yeah yes. well, I've, been, uh, I've been meaning to reach out to him too at some point maybe in the next two years uh <laughs> yeah he's he's cur- he's currently in iceland <laughs> oh is he nice yeah yeah he's riding out there um so yeah we started that and and it took off really fast um i'd been having problems to actually go out on rides because i've just been so busy with things but mm. um it's really nice this is where you know we plan a ride uh, about every you know four to six weeks during the summer it's all inclusive no drop concept we have prize giveaways with the sponsors that we've you know fostered along the way yeah so it's it's really nice to be able to offer this to people and again it's about it's about education really um and and helping people overcome their fears and and in turn what happens is people start to foster their own relationship with with people that they find within the group so they'll find somebody that either has the same biking ability or maybe a little better that they want to um you know learn from them or or they they just just, click right and they're like let's hang out that synergy and they just chill yeah so it's quite nice and we're we're seeing people come up from seattle and uh portland um calgary lots of people come in from vancouver that's cool we coordinate our trips so that it kind of, if it's going to be something, cause they're all just either one or two night trips type of idea at group campsites. And uh, we try to coordinate it with anyone who's coming from Vancouver. So we coordinate it with their ferry time. So we kind of mm. like pick them up along the way we meet it somewhere at a certain time. So that's, that's kind of how we do it. Yeah, if yeah. it's a, if it's a three day weekend or if it's something different um, we might have like a, a, a fast or harder group and a slower, easier group so that we can split people off that it's like, Hey, I want to go do a hundred K to the campground right. and, and have a good hard ride. And other people will go, you know, I'm cool with 50. Yeah. And we, we have the same meetup point like and everything. Yeah. 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 And, and that's what we do is just a big group campsite most of the time. And, uh, most of our rides get anywhere between 50 to 70 people out. Oh, wow. How many of you guys, how many of these have you done? 
So last year was our first year. We had, I want to say, six rides. This year we've already had four, I think, um, maybe five. Um, again, cool. I've been a little bit, been a little bit uh, delinquent on in this summer. It's just things have been busy. Mm-hmm. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah, so I, I think that's something that uh, that could work. Um, yeah, even here, you know, like there's an Ottawa Valley Bike Pack Collective Facebook group, yeah. but. I don't yeah. know if they do anything like that. Like it's, I, I think it I would, would see it if they did. So the, the model is so repeatable and, and you could have it almost like the randonneur concept where it's, it's an umbrella, right? Where you've got a BC bike collect a collective and then you've got regional chapters, mm-hmm. right? And we're not a quote unquote club. Um, so, I mean, there's the typical waivers to sign. You're at your own risk, you know, for sure. Ride, ride to the traffic rules and ride within your abilities. Um, and the only thing that we do is we just foster the, the, the meeting and we foster the, uh, you know, and facilitate the, the renting of the, the group campsite. That's really yeah, it. Yeah. So, so yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. I think, uh, well, like Eric and Jen of the log drivers, Waltz, they organized a spring rally, which was really great. Um, and it was two weekends because there was so much interest, but it was definitely something that like, like you, like, like the collective campouts. um, yeah, there's so much more possibility there. Yeah. So yeah, there's. I've been doing that. I've been having fun with my rides. Um, and one of the things that uh, I'm also uh, an ambassador for Ride with GPS and the and the routes within the island and BC because of just my background with with everywhere within the province. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of people come to me for route information. I for fun design routes for people. Okay. They go, Hey, you know, I want to go on a trip, but I don't know where to go. And I'll say, you know, you know, what kind of riding do you want to do? What kind of bike do you have? And what's your target mileage? And I will literally design a route for them with a bunch of options and give them all the, the you know, the, the lowdown of where to go camping and all the cool things to go see. And yeah, you know, that's cool. Trend. That takes time, but it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Like I just did one last night for uh, a lady from the Okanagan who's coming over for four days and, and has a certain little bit of itinerary. So I cranked out a, you know, a 350 K route for her to go play on and uh, um, go ride with her on. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go ride with her for a day and. Okay. And you can throw it up on the ride with GPS and then put it as part of the. uh, Yep. The 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 library. Yeah. The library. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. Um, and then I, I kind of, you know, I don't know if you know much about Vancouver Island and our land access issue that we have when it comes to. No, I don't know too much about it. I mean, I've been up there. I went to Tofino in 2010, did all the surf thing like everybody does, I think. And, uh, that was about it. (laughs) So in a nutshell, 2 million acres of Vancouver Island is private timberland. Oh, okay. It's a very unique situation. So back in 1910, um, a legislative member named Robert Dunsmuir was gifted 2 million acres of land in trade for building the railway corridor. Okay. And fast forward now, all this land is owned by two logging companies and it's managed by one forestry management company. And um, the access for a, a good while was just kind of you know, back in the eighties and that access was, um, 
pretty much like crown land all all the land is technically private and the roads are technically private industrial okay. roads so they would gate these roads periodically for active logging and and they really didn't care that okay. much so at those times like if it was gated if the gate was closed or there was a new gate there you knew they were logging so you go somewhere else kind of thing. Yes, that's right. You'd go somewhere else. I mean, you know, that was that was in the 80s and the 90s. And but now fast forward with, you know, liabilities and lawyers now. Well, and I mean, I always equated this like I have to play devil's advocate. Right. Yeah. So I mean, if this, this is still private land. So, I mean, it's just like you having your backyard. Do you want yeah, people yeah. just traipsing around through your backyard? And then I've worked in the bush. So, I mean, I also equate this to this is a person's work zone that does not expect public to be in there yeah. when they're driving a hundred thousand pounds of logs out. Right. So, I mean, there's that aspect. So I respect the fact that it's private land. That's good point. Do I, yeah. Do I agree how and why it's private? No, but you know, work within your limit that way. Um, so it's been a little bit of a problem. Um, then there was a Supreme case, uh, ruling out in BC called Douglas Lake ranch where, uh, there was this big huge large ranch and a lot of lakes fly fishing lakes on it and there was grandfathered access to it and then the the uh, ranch was sold to a u.s senator and he locked it all up so there was a big public outcry about <clears throat> access to the lakes okay. to go fishing and these lakes were stocked by taxpayers so this all went to court. It took years and years uh, for these groups to battle out in court. And they basically said that if you have crown assets within your private land, you had to provide public access to these oh, lakes and rivers. That's huge. Which everyone went, yay. However, um, the Douglas Lake Ranch owner appealed it. And within a couple months, it was overturned. Oh. So now if you have any crown assets within your lay or within your property perimeter, you do not have to give any access to it. So that in turn on the Island, we saw more gates go up. Everything started getting locked up. Okay. Um, there is an access plan, but it's not like you get free reign. The gates are only open in certain areas at certain times on the weekend. So on Thursday night, they, they update their website and you can see what's open on for the weekend. So how do you plan a trip yeah. on Thursday night for the weekend, right? And the gates are only open from like eight in the morning to eight in night, most of the places, and you can't wild cap, camp on any of their property. So you have to go in and out during mm. the gate opening time, right? So you yeah. have to be really smart at how you, you transit through these areas legally, right? So... Mm -hmm. uh, so in, in those frustrations, uh, I wanted to build a really interesting route on Vancouver Island and really you're limited to land north of Campbell River. I'm going to open up a map as you speak here. So. <laughs> yeah. So basically Campbell River is kind of the center of Van Vancouver Island and, and north of that is Crown Land. So it allows for a lot easier access. So oh, okay. hence why I built my racing route that I have, the Caves and Coves Tough Tour, <laughs> is all North Island. Um, I'm well familiar with the area from years of being up there and then also bikepacking up there. Mm -hmm. um, and I just designed a route that I thought would be great for a, a race. I thought Vancouver Island would be a great place to have a, a good bikepacking race. 
But as I started developing it, I also wanted to have something that was different than the standard race. So I developed this race as being an, an open format where there is no grand depart. It's just a time trial, but it is photo based. So right. you've got, yeah, you've got 23 mandatory photos that you have to take along the way. And then you've got another eight photos that are uh, kind of bonus photos that you can get uh, time bonuses back for doing things like going for a swim at a particular spot. That oh, kind of okay. Thing. That's yeah, interesting. So, I know, I know, idea. I know Matt Katie with the beast, um, BT 700 also had like a, a little photo adventure, uh, to his route last year. I don't know if he did it again this year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was pretty interesting. Like people were really stoked about it. So it's like, there was a, there was a lot of, a lot of excitement around that idea, you know? And yeah, if you're, if you're out there racing a route, it's unless yeah, it's mandatory, it's a lot harder to, to take that time. Right. So. That's right. And I, and I mean, the route is hard enough as it is. I mean, it's 1,350 K and almost 20,000 meters elevation. And the Island is brutal for Hills. It's mm. uh, short, punchy Hills. You'll come around the corner and you got like a 24, you know, percent grade. Okay. And it just, yeah, it'll, you know, you'll either walk it or you'll just get knocked on your ass. And, mm-hmm. and it's, uh, but it's just like a sawtooth all the time. The elevation profile is just up, down, up, down everywhere okay and and so and, you were saying sorry campbell river which is uh north of courtney and stuff like basically yeah. all the south island from there is that private land yeah holy so crap that's huge yeah i know when when you think of it as that way but there's also some geographics that kind of come into play okay. so if you take a look at the map where campbell river is and you see to the west of campbell river is upper campbell lake okay. the west the west edge of it there's a dam on the very west edge of it. Okay. If you drew a straight line from there down to Souk, which Souk is just west of Victoria. Mm-hmm. Yep. Everything to the east of that line is private land. Oh, okay. But everything, but everything to the west has pretty much no roads because it's all inaccessible. It's, and it's yeah, it's really mountainous and. <laughs> That's right. So there's there's very little access. So there are some places out in uh, Souk and and Renfrew. Uh, outside of Victoria that has access. There are some small uh, First Nation communities that do um, transit through the private land that's that's all in here. So there are some corridors that are um, public roads, but there's only a couple. Okay. Um, and there's a there's a lot of roads that look like, oh, this would be a great back, bikepacking route. However, it's closed to the public. It's 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 a private road. It's okay. private land, right? So so where does the caves and coves start? So technically, it starts in Courtney Comox, and in I, Courtney, I okay. did mm-hmm. yeah. So I did it out of Comox for the one reason that um, you can actually fly in there from various places out of the states. Okay. So it, it allows people from kind of pretty much anywhere to get to Comox. Um, there's also the issue that if you do uh, drive up, well, where am I going to park in a foreign town? Well, yeah, the, the, the route starts right beside the airport. So you can park at the airport long-term parking. Okay. Oh, that's right. sweet. Yeah. So, yeah. So I kind of planned it that way to give it some accessibility. And then it also starts you off with uh, some nice little farmland, some nice little single track, uh, kind of just eases you into it. Um, it's only like 60K to get up to Campbell River. And that's the last place that you're gonna see anything substantial. That's your last bike shop. 
um, really north of Campbell River, there's only uh, two communities that are really going to offer you any resupply, and that's Port McNeil and Port yeah. Hardy. Oh, okay. There are there are some other towns, <clears throat> but the resupply is very slim that you're going to get there. Um, they're either going to be uh, you know, short hours of a little gas station, or there's going to be only like one little coffee shop and a, a deli that might be open, you know, and, and that's it. So yeah, yeah, there's, it's not like there's grocery stores and things like that. So, so it's all pretty remote. Damn, um, nice. it's, it's all logging roads that are either, you know, I kept, I kept the route on the least used logging roads that I can that still allows to be able to connect all of these places. Cause again, geography really is kind of the, the, the crux of this entire route design is there's so many really cool places to go to, but they're all out and back rides. Where, uh, where is this pass? I see a f- nearly, is that 4,000? 4, oh, it's 4,000 feet. Okay. I just realized yeah. I was on, on on a ride with GPS, but I'm not logged in, so it shows it in American standard. And oh. I was like, four thousand meters? What the? F-? <laughs> yeah, four thousand feet. Okay. Um, <laughs> so that's uh, like there's again, there's a lot of elevation because you do have some yeah. some pretty good climbs. So right off the bat, you come out of Campbell River and you have a couple little climbs, but but uh, one of the substantial climbs is just before you get to gold river, there is a decent little climb. And that's at about your 200 K mark You're You're not high. You're only, you're only at like 600 meters, but it's a bit of a grunt up to a little lake that's up there called Twaddle Lake. And it's uh, mm-hmm. it's pretty cool. And then it's a, it's a awesome cruise from there all the way down to gold river to hit breakfast. And, uh, and, and even from gold river out to the first set of caves, that's uh, like a, that's like a, you know, really, when it comes down to it, that's like a 500 meter climb. Okay. In in a very short period of time, like it's it's like 12k, 13k. Now, are these kind of are these gravel climbs, or is it like single track uh, switchback climbs up? Like, so pretty much all of this is uh, logging roads. Okay. And I say pretty so, much. Yeah, so yeah, which is which can be like of, baby head rocks and stuff to navigate. And- it's rough on the island there's a lot of rock on the island so um it's it's no joke like it's it's rough it's rough going on the island i I remember uh, um oh the the bike pack racing podcast they would they they started calling this stuff uh nasty mountain gravel (laughs) 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 they're like no not normal gravel the nasty mountain gravel or something like that yeah (laughs) it's not even it's not even chunky it's Mm -hmm. it's beyond that yeah it's it doesn't move (laughs) uh but there's some, you know, I after three years of riding in that area, along with, uh, you know, all the, all the driving and the motorcycling that I've done up that area, um, I strung together a lot of lesser used roads, little cutoffs and detours that I knew still existed. Um, and again, the problem is the majority of the stuff on the island is all out and back. They just, they have a main line that runs down the valley. Yeah. And then the rest of the stuff is just a log logging road that goes up to a drainage area and then turns around and comes back down. Okay. So, so I, I couldn't connect a lot of stuff. So yeah, I see, was, I see that that's the, that's the typical problem out west, though, right? Like even, even yeah. British Columbia in general, it's like you have a logging road, there, but there's not a million options like Ontario and Quebec has. You have like... Yeah. specific roads you can take and you got to make work with what you have right that's part of our logging parameters is that you're not you're not 
allowed to join watersheds with roads. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's part of the road and and the logging practices. So, um, and again, just the lay of the land. But I I basically made a list of all the cool places that I like about the North Island. Right. And then tried to link all of them together. And obviously, I couldn't do everything, but um, you know, I did, I did my best at coming up with this. And you missed uh, you missed Tofino, or is that not the cool part you like? <laughs> well. To, to get out to Tofino oh, yeah, is there's... a big, long, paved that's right. out and back where you just get run over by RVs. Yeah, so, that's I mean, right. I forgot. There's only one way in and out. Yeah. There is only one way. So, um, and again, <clears throat> you cross, you know, if you were to go n- north of any of that, like there's nothing there. Yeah, right? yeah. So. Um, no, interestingly but, enough, yeah. though, uh, we have a friend getting married in Victoria next summer, and I, I told my wife, she's like, oh, maybe we can go. And I said, if I can bring my bike and you can hang out at other friends for a few, like a week while I go do some biking, then it's a deal. <laughs> yeah. Or find me somebody that has a bike. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd bring mine. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Uh, so people are having fun on it. It's uh there's been a, uh, I think about a dozen people that have planned to ride it. Unfortunately, cool. there's been a number that uh, that had to either postpone to possibly mm. September. There's a couple that that had some things that came up and now they can't. Uh, currently, I have three on the course. I had four last week, but one of them scratched, um, and he well, didn't do too bad. He he got like almost halfway, and he scratched. Yep. Um, the one good thing about it too is like the way this route is, is, is you could easily piece together smaller sections, you know, you can do a partial adventure too. That's right. And that's how I have written up in the, in the description too, that, that, Hey, you know, you don't have the time to do it all. Pick yeah. out some little sections, you know, give me a call and, and tell me what time frame you have. And I'll, I'll, I'll help you out with making a, a cool little loop. That's just for you. And, uh, and then if you want to make an official attempt at it, here's the route go do it, do your mandatory photos, mm-hmm. you know, have fun with it. And I've loosened the rules up. It's kind of my little bit of a poke at some of the things that have been going on in the bike pack racing community. Do it's tell. Like... Before continuing on with the show, I'd like to thank Panorama Cycles for sponsoring this podcast. Panorama Cycles is a bicycle manufacturer in Quebec, Canada, dedicated to backcountry cyclists that prefer gravel, snow, and off-road trails. They believe cycling is a catalyst for adventures of all sizes and that there's no need to travel across the world or to be a seasoned athlete to live epic outdoor adventures. Over the past year, I've been riding the Chickshocks fat bike, the Katadin gravel bike, and the Taiga mountain bike. From everyday rides, bikepacking trips, and a multitude of races and events, these bikes have put a huge smile on my face every step of the way, while also getting me on the podium on the Wendigo Ultra fat bike race and helped me set an FKT on the Canadian Shield 400. In partnering up with the Bike Pack Adventures podcast, Panorama Cycles also wants to give back to the cycling community, particularly you, the listeners of the podcast. By using the promo code BPA10 when purchasing a new bike from PanoramaCycles.com, you'll save 10%. For more information on their environmental commitments or to check out their bikes, head to PanoramaCycles.com. Now back to the show. So, hey, if you happen to share a tent or a uh, camp set with a friend just go ride <laughs> yeah so there although there isn't a pairs category if you happen to go riding with a friend and you're sharing a couple bits of equipment 
fine, go ride it, have fun. The only requirement is in the photos, it has to be both of you in the photos from start to finish. Oh, okay. Yeah, fair enough. So it's not like, here, hold my bikes while you run off into the bush and go take a selfie, right? It's, it's yeah, no, yeah. Both, both of you have to be doing it, right? It's an investment of, again, the idea is to go do a race that forces you to stop and smell the flowers, right? Yeah. And go yeah. see some things, right? And some of the places I've given you very generous time bonuses to entice you to camp there. So there's one of the remote little coves that are up there called Grant Bay. Okay. And I've given you I've given you a six hour time bonus if you take a picture of you camping on the beach. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah. If you go if you prove that you with a photo went swimming in the ocean at that beach, I'll give you another two hours. So there's seventeen hours that you can Ooh. Oh, we just about lost each other. Are you still? Oh, he did lose. I'll pause this. Hey, so we're back. Um, and Robert, you were talking about the uh, the time time bonuses. How do you call those? Yeah, time bonuses. So there's uh, 17 hours that you can claw back by doing some little extra things on the ride, like swimming and and walking around to go into some caves and uh, and go see some old growth forests and and that. So it's kind of fun to go the extra mile and uh, and allows people yeah. and i think racers too uh and day or night i don't care if your photos are geotagged that proves that you went there but if it's the middle of the night and you're racing it's like do you want to either risk or what's the point of walking into a set of caves at two in the morning right uh there's kind of no point. So you, so you have to make that judgment call. It's yeah. like, am I going to go do this or am I just going to motor on? Right. Interesting. But I think smart, smart racers will pick and choose the ones that they want to do. Yeah. You might, you will... might put that in your notes as like, this one is like, this is one I should do no matter what. And this is one I could play by ear depending. Yeah. All what's of them going are, on. are great to go to during the daylight. It's just a matter of which ones do racers want to gain the, the couple of hours? And do they think that a couple of hours over, you know, 1,350 K is going to be a, 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 you know, a big deal or yeah. not. Right. So for, so for example, let me get this straight. Um, with the one you were saying about the beach, where if you camp at the beach, you get six hours. Um, is that all right? If you camp there three hours and like now you've, benefited three hours or like you have to be there literally six hours on a clock nope it's how you play the math okay and that's it so if you uh, the the mandatory photo is at the trailhead where the sign says to go down to grant bay that's the mandatory photo okay. the bonus photo is to have a photo of you at your campsite your camp set up right on the beach and then that's six hours. So the six hour that I've given you is kind of that cue for people to, hey, you should really camp here. And I. Hey, you there? <laughs> We're back again after uh, another um, technical, technical difficulty. Technical difficulty. I, I shouldn't be running Windows 98. Uh, <laughs> apparently. Um, oh. <clears throat> Anyways, yeah. So you were saying like set up your camp and take a picture and uh, we were we were talking about Grant Bay. How the majority of these these photo kind of things are is the mandatory photo is either at a trailhead or at some, you know, end of an out and back spot. Kind of proves that you went to go see a particular site that I that I've asked you to go ride to and take a look at, right? Cuz the whole cool. idea of this is to go and 
actual places, right? Um, so, for example, we were talking about Grant Bay, which is this crazy, amazing bay that's here on the island that just has this little logging road that goes into it, and it's like this tropical beach in the middle of nowhere. Oh, sweet. And yeah, you get to the end of the road, and you can take a picture at the signpost that says, you know, Grant Bay. And it's only uh, half a kilometer to the beach, which you can ride on a bike, which is pretty cool. And uh, then you take a picture of your campsite while you're down there, and I'll give you six hours. And the idea is that you actually enjoy the time camping on there. Doesn't mean you need to stay six hours. Doesn't yeah. mean that you need to do whatever. It's just that's the time I'm going to give you. So a lot of racers might go down there and decide to camp there, and they'll sleep for like maybe four hours and then and then take off. But if you go swimming in the bay and you take a picture, I'll give you another two hours. So I mean, this is kind of the fun that I've had with this. There's a a set of falls that that people don't go to very often right. south of uh, Port Alice. And it's got this really cool pool at the bottom of it. And it's right beside the road. So take a picture of the falls. That's your mandatory photo. Prove that you went swimming up to your neck mm-hmm. and I'll give you another hour. <laughs> and I recommend people have a little tripod and maybe leave their phone on the shore. Otherwise, you might not be able to prove anything if you drop your phone. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny that you say that. So most of the people are just using their GoPro to do their selfies. Okay. That's all I ask for this is they don't yeah. need to be photographic wonder pieces. They just need to be a selfie to prove that you're there. So a lot of people are using uh, GoPros. Um, and oddly, as you say, the broken phone aspect. So um uh, one of the, the people on the route right now, his phone k- bounced out of his bag or something like that on the very first day and it smashed. Ah, <laughs> oh, that sucks. Yeah. I've been so, there. However, he does have a GoPro and he does have another camera. So uh, he's taking his pictures, but he said, you know, unfortunately, I'm not going to post anything along the route. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. And yeah. uh, hopefully he had the whole route on his like in pieces already cut up on his uh, his garment he- or whatever. He did. He had everything already on his Garmin, so he was pretty set that way. He was he was pretty happy, and he had the cue sheet all printed off, and and he he knows the area a little bit. He's driven around some of the area, so he's not completely lost up there. He okay. kind of knows where he's pointing, right? And uh, he's doing pretty good. He's about um, he's over two thirds of the way through, so he's doing pretty good. Um, How long has he been out there for? Uh, I think this will be like day seven okay. or eight. Um, so Julie and Dan, uh, I saw your post right of them. Yeah. They were doing pretty good. They were putting in 200 K days, That's wild. which it's great, which you could do longer, but it's definitely, it's tough. Um, I think Dan ran into, I think his da- gas tank was a bit empty and they've decided to, um, take a, um, a hotel tonight in Port McNeil and kind of recharge. <clears throat> He's just, I think the heat's getting to him. It's pretty hot out right now. Okay. So, yeah um it's over 30 in a lot of these areas oh is it not it's not typical right yeah you've got this heat wave yeah yeah and things are atypical here too it's been like 20 every day maybe 18 it's not it's crazy it's not (laughs) not ontario summer at all like yeah um with this route your your crux of the route in my mind while there are a few good stiff hills and and longer climbs like you know three to 600 meter climbs your crux doesn't come until 950k 
Okay. Which is which is when you climb to the bottom of Mount Kane, which is a ski hill. Is that the the big big climb? That's that big climb. So um, that's uh, and I've I've even planned how I did that climb. There's kind of uh, like two ways to climb to the ski hill. Okay. Uh, so they're zooming like in a, now slowly as we yeah. Speak. So as you take a look at it, the the main road to the ski hill is actually to the south is the the main way up okay. you come in from the south side and, and you climb up to mount Kane, um and that is the boring way to go up it's it, it's not any easier or harder but it's just a not all that amazing sights uh and then there's just a short little climb to get to the bottom of the ski hill right and then i i end up taking you out through the back way and it's an amazing view because you're on a shelf road ripping down and it's steep and it's just you you see the valley stretching out behind you over this shelf road mm. and there's like massive exposure and and it's pretty fun going down that way um so that's that's a crux and then there's a hidden crux in here which which is pretty pretty tough um it's it's uh at basically at a thousand and sixty one you cross the highway and you climb up Kim Creek. Okay. And it's and it's an older road, so it's that's it's just that's not bit, too long after that other climb, huh? Exactly. You don't have much reprieve um, from after doing that, and uh, it's it's a small, overgrown road, really rough, really chunky. Um, it's not like you're you're pushing your way through the the bush or anything like that but mm -hmm. there could be the odd down tree maybe yeah that always happens. and and so you climb most of that you climb up and then dropping down into the kind of like the 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 adam river on the other side okay. that's a wild little descent it's not long but it's steep with really rough uh, sharp rocks all the way down. Okay, and, and it's yeah, and so it's 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 another little crux, um, and then you and then you have a nice little fast logging road that that blasts you out, and then in you climb up into another lake that you can camp at, right? So it looks really cool. I mean, uh, I I I've kind of I'd like to ride out west more. Like, I, what is it? Last year. Maybe it was mm -hmm. last year. I wanted. I was hoping that we were we were planning to go out west, and I would. I had at the time hoped to to do the AR seven hundred and the yep. uh, Lost Elephant, and of course we didn't go out west, so that all fell through. Um, <laughs> so yeah, definitely something I want to get out there for is just to to go yeah. explore there a bit because uh, yeah. it's definitely a lot different than what we have here in Ontario and Quebec. Yeah. And I've got some other big routes that I have kind of in the in the cooker right now that are encompassing BC and a little bit of Alberta, and and they're um, a bit more staggering. They're like six and a half, seven thousand k, um, and one of them is extremely rough and has. It's funny when you were chatting with Matt and you were talking yep. about oh, there's there's got to be some cool stuff up in the north north end of the you know, uh, BC and the old telegraph lines. Well, the problem with a lot of those old areas, they're now all flooded with, um, reservoirs. So oh, cause it got those, dammed up for whatever. Yeah. That's, that's right. So a lot of those areas are just non-existent and then just the lay of the land up there is, is there's not a lot of access and, uh, it's just 
a lot of it, if it is even a trail, is a horse packing trail. So that's not something that you get a bike down. Yeah. Because horses horses can step over fallen logs. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I remember like when I was cycling to Yukon, uh, you would read some of the historical notes along the side of the roads or, you know, um, the highway. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about the telegraph, and I was like, "Man, there must be a great trail somewhere." <laughs> but no, I guess well, not. Well, there's no, and there's like there is there is a town up that way that there was uh, like up Telegraph Creek. But a lot of these are a lot of this area is just uh, you know um, mining exploration, really, when it comes right. down to it, right? So that's kind of the lay of the land. Um, so, so you're planning some, you're days, you're 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 building some routes that are like six thousand k. You said. Yeah. So, so in a nutshell, I won't, I won't yeah, yeah, spill don't. the beans too much, but in a nutshell, there's going to be a, a mostly paved version. That's about 6,500. Okay. And then as much of a dirt version as I can make, that's, I think going to be almost 8,000. Oh, cool. And, and like more loop in, style or in, in a nutshell, it's a lap of BC. Oh, cool. All right. In a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah in a nutshell um and i'm gonna try to ride the paid version next summer uh but my my hurdle is getting time off work because i what do you do do nowadays so i still work for the government Uh, i work for the town of sydney um so i i work in in a semi-legal department so where is uh, where is sydney (laughs) so sydney is is where the ferry uh okay yeah 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 so that's basically Sydney. So, um, yeah, so I just, that's my biggest hurdle is just getting time off to, mm-hmm. to try and do that. So, cause you know, even if I do 200 K a day, that's still a month, right? Yeah. It's a significant chunk of time. Yeah. That's for sure. Luckily your kids yeah. are growing up and they don't really want to see you all that much anyways. Right. <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I've kind of got that in the hopper, and it's it's funny. Like when Matt was doing his cross Canada route development, he reached out for me to stuff on the island and stuff in the BC. So mm-hmm. we chatted a lot about about the areas and and such. And I grew up in Kamloops, so I again that whole whole part of BC. I used to work up north, so I, I spent a lot of time in the bush up north working. Um, uh, so a lot of these areas I know. Uh, mm-hmm. And I had actually been planning a cross Canada dirt route. Oh, okay. Wild. Funny. Um, Because I know of, I know kind of in the Kenora area, I know a lot of ATV trails that kind of cut east and west through there between like Dryden and Thunder Bay. Okay. But, but there isn't a lot that connect east and west. Most of them, even the ATV trails all just tend to go north to go hunting. So it's really difficult to basically do anything that's dirt from, you know, from Kenora to, to Thunder Bay yeah. and even, even Thunder Bay to like Salsa Marie. I mean, that's, that's tough to get. It's interesting. There. I was just, uh, I was, uh, I haven't posted the interview yet, but I just had an interview with, uh, with this guy named Jim and, uh, he was saying that, um, gonna be the trans canada trail but it's it's um oh what are they called the waterfront trail they're yeah. they're making it from sault Ste. marie all the way to thunder bay so they're extending the sides of the highway it's going to be paved unfortunately 
but they're going to be extending it and making a proper, you know, shoulder that people can walk on TCT nice. and everything. So he said, you know, wait for that in about five years, it should be done. <laughs> but, uh, I was like, wow, at least, you know, at least there's something, but, uh, you know, same thing. It's the big problem is yeah. there's no real and I know that good. You guys were touching on the, yeah. Go ahead. Well, oh, I'm saying, and I know that you and Matt touched on the TCT across Canada, like, you know, who thought this out? Um, and it's funny you say that because when I worked in the newspaper industry in the Okanagan, um, the publisher of the newspaper was actually part of the BC committee. Okay. And the mandate was, was um, it was a national heritage trail. Okay. And it was about encompassing all of the aspects of mode of travel within Canada. So it wasn't designed as being a, a hiking trail or a bike path or a whatever. It was a heritage trail. Get yeah. It was a heritage trail yeah. and their biggest battle over the entire trail was land access. That was the oh, yeah. biggest battle. So, so a lot of the areas that they went through, sometimes their hand was forced based on what land they could get access to both legally or to negotiate. Right. Mm -hmm. So that was their biggest hurdle in every single province that they had to deal with. So that's yeah. why sometimes you see these doing the weirdest things, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like but, it goes way North of Winnipeg and then comes down and like some of these. Yeah. 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 It's uh, it's interesting. I mean, I, I, I still, you know, I, I'm always envious of like Scotland and Sweden and Norway and like these Scandinavian, Scandinavia, especially, you know, with their all man's rights yeah. to, you know, even private land, people should be allowed to cross it. Uh, it's a fantastic yeah. thing. But I mean, like here it's maybe because we have so much land that it gets taken for granted. That's like, no, fuck off, go find your own land. Don't cross my land. Yeah, I think, yeah, there's, uh, there's, yeah, there's, there's pros and cons to each way. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think, I think what I, I kind of am envious in Europe is the camping aspects that they have. Now, uh, in talking with people there, certain areas, it's, it's, great to go camping because of the amenities but with that comes price mm -hmm. and and pressure from everyone else using it right we've got the space and it's just you know people that i know from europe that come over here their their mind is boggled when they find out it's 150k or 100 you know 200k between gas stations yeah they, that's just, right they, yeah they don't understand that right yeah and um, when you see a sign uh, especially when you're going past like uh, what's what's before after Lillouette or some before Lillouette, you know, um, yep. it this like next gas, next rest stop or next anything is 80 kilometers away. There's nothing yeah. for that. Yeah. Not you get. Yeah. You get farther north. Right. And it's it says, la, you know, it says next fuel, uh, you know, 185 kilometers. Yeah, exactly. I remember seeing one of those and I was like, yeah. what the f <laughs> because <laughs> i'm from ontario it's not like that here i mean you have to go pretty far north to have that you know <laughs> that's that's right that's right yeah uh and it was funny when you guys were talking too about um the crazy distances between uh resupplies on some of the routes mm. so on this route that i'm designing uh the criteria that i kind of placed myself to to design the route there's a section that could very well end up being 850k between any amenity. Oh wow! 
you'll have water that yeah. you have to filter, but you're going to be on logging roads for almost 900 kilometers between uh, Smithers and another very small community that. Oh, that I love Smithers. Yeah, yeah. Smithers is, yeah, it's, yeah. What a great little town. What a, they have an yeah. amazing bike infrastructure there, too. Their bike parks and stuff. Yeah, yeah. For a small little town, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So, but, uh, Oh, that's yeah, cool. That's yeah. I mean, it's like, uh, I know that, uh, there's a, there's a guy that works at Brockton cyclery and he actually is the, the general manager now, Glenn Quinn. And, uh, he built a route up in Thunder Bay and mm-hmm. it's something like 800 kilometers. And I think there's no resupply. Like once you leave, that's it, you know? Well, you'll get when water you, when you think about it, you know, if you can, if you can pack five days worth of food, you're should be good. Yeah, exactly. And right. Yeah. And don't, and don't dilly dally. <laughs> yeah. And don't get hurt. And, <laughs> and yeah. if you do make sure you have a, like a GPS tracker that you get out of there. <laughs> That's right. That's so let's, right. uh, let's, let's jump to talking about videos a bit. Cause I mean, I think, um, from, from my impression of you, and even you mentioned it is like YouTube was where you kind of got your start. And, uh, from there, everything's kind of gone. Um, yeah. what was your first video? Do you remember? Oh, the first video was actually, uh, kind of, a. I shot it over like maybe about four days of riding one of my favorite loops. And, um, I've actually since taken it down because there was uh, copyright infringement on the music that I had oh, yeah. and I've been, and I've been meaning to actually re edit that to a different music. But, um, that was like my first video. Um, and it was kind of fun. It was just, it was like a 40 K loop that I did around here. And, and then I just started documenting some of the little small bike, bike packing trips that I was doing around here. Okay. And then what I did was, um, I would take September again and, and I would go and do a big trip and then I would come back and I would edit it into like a dozen episodes and I wasn't doing any of the YouTube and it's not for money because you know you make a paltry amount. Yeah, on until YouTube. yeah, you get decent. I think when you get to your now your now download numbers. <laughs> <laughs> well, even at that, I mean, full transparency, I make fifty bucks a month. Oh yeah, that's it. Oh. That's it. That 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 covers my music and and one of my apps that I have to pay for a monthly. Yeah, especially like the video <laughs> editing stuff. Like, yeah i mean and that's it right Uh, and so a lot of time and effort and i mean you know between drones and cameras and Mm -hmm. other consumables right it's just uh you know you do it for fun you do it for people and meeting people and and again it's it's a passion right yeah exactly you gotta i mean it's the same podcasting i'm not making a fortune off this you know like (laughs) i definitely definitely uh, I'm happy I'm at the point where it kind of breaks even, you know, with uh, all the annual fees. And if I buy a piece of gear a year or something, you know, uh, uh, I, so. I, I, I cover my monthly fees. That's it. The gear is out of my pocket. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I took, uh, I took like two, three weeks off and I, I did a lap up through Kamloops down to Penticton and, and, uh, and, and did that. And that was like 12, 13 episodes. Um, I did two trips up North Island at different times of the year and documented those and kind of made a North Island series. Um, some of the areas uh, I didn't get into at that particular time because the weather was really bad. Okay. Um, it was so bad that it was like, here's a fog bank with rain. Can you 
imagine what's behind it. <laughs> okay. There was, there, was, there was nothing to see. It's like you it might as well just curl up in a ball and wait for two days. <laughs> uh, oh, well, it was the, the, the forecast was so bad. It was just like, I just turned around and headed back out. But okay. um, uh, I have gotten up there and put a little bit more stuff, but um, I kind of did that. Uh, How did you, when you started, what, what gear were you using? Like what's your, what was your videoing uh, gear? An iPhone 11. That was it. Okay. That's all I was using. And then I know. Cause I, I saw like a year later, you have your thing finally gets a GoPro. Salty Beard gets a GoPro. So I see that. And it's like, <laughs> that's exactly it. That was the birthday gift. Right. So, I mean, again, I just small budget. Right. Mm -hmm. So it was about having fun. So then I got a GoPro and then it was just my phone and my GoPro. Um, and then, uh, um, you have a drone now, right? So now I have a drone and it's just the mini two. So there's no follow me features or anything as that. Um, okay. so, so I have that. And then this last year, uh, I have a Sony a6600 and so I'm starting to shoot more on that. Uh, so more, more like net higher quality still photos, you mean, or? A higher quality video, oh, video lenses. Yeah. So, you know, um, and, and also photo and video right so um but just the way things have been going i haven't been able to get out this summer and do as much as i want okay. just murphy's law with with things that are going on both with family and then i've got other stuff that i'm i'm editing here uh you know like reviews on bags and and other things that are kind of in my editing uh hopper here that are all bikepacking related yeah. but um I, after a day of work staring at monitors, I come home and uh, this last thing I want to do is edit. So yeah, I know. I, I really just edit on the weekend, and then you know I'm not riding when I'm editing. So mm -hmm. it's kind of a a balance. Right? Now these bag um, reviews—is this like companies that are sending you stuff to do reviews now, or is um, this, so, or just stuff you have? For, um, so some of it is stuff that I have, uh, some of it is, uh, stuff that I've been sponsored with. So, uh, I do have some really good sponsors yeah. that have come to me. And so I've got tail fin bags. Um, they sponsor me. Uh, so long-term reviews kind of are still in the hopper with that. Um, Goreware picked me up, um, this year. Again, oh, cool. I didn't, I didn't reach out to any of these companies. They've kind of come to me. Um, I, I was working with light bicycle last year. Um, and then this year, uh, they really dropped a lot of their ambassadors because of just a lack of money. Um, but I still endorse their products. I love, I love the mm -hmm. light bicycle wheel set that I've got. Um, and, and a lot of the other products. Um, so basically that's it. There's a, a local, um, energy, uh, food kind of company that's out here on the Island. Oh, cool. Um, yeah and it's it's really nice you can buy their stuff yeah so it's called grind and it's uh it's basically a chocolate and uh peanut kind of puree if you want to call it uh all natural with um organic honey and um, himalayan sea salt and a little bit of mct oil and um this company actually started as a bulk food company on the island and they've oh, got okay. multiple, yeah. yeah, they've got multiple little stores and then they started their own nut roastery and they do organic and, and, um, you know, fair trade, uh, nuts that they get and then they roast them 
And so they had those two companies and then uh, they decided to come up with a formula for uh, a more of a a healthy energy kind of supplement that was very protein uh, based, right? Um, Not your typical sugary gels and that kind of a thing. So if you can just think of a Reese's Pieces in a bag, that's oh, that, what it is. That sounds way better. You could have just started with that. I would have been, I would have, you had me sold at Reese's Pieces in a yeah. bag. Before yeah, that, I was just like, okay, something about peanuts and, you know, and not always my, not always my jam, uh, depending on my <laughs> mindset when I'm, uh, when I'm out cycling, but I'm like Reese's Pieces in a bag. There you go. So <laughs> you, uh, yeah, you need to contact grind and tell them that that's all they need to really write, but they can't call yeah. it Reese's Pieces. Probably they have to. No, no. Uh, who got who got peanut butter in my chocolate and shoved it in the bag? Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, there it's pretty awesome because like a 125 gram bag is 700 calories, so it it's a oh, lot that's, of calories. That's a shitload, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not it's really good on your stomach. Like it it's it's got just enough grit to it that it actually feels like you're chewing on something. Yeah, and uh, and and you know, again, it tastes really well. Um, so you pair that with something, you know, equally good and it works, works pretty good for keeping the energy up. Yeah. I'm uh yeah, that's, that actually sounds good. Um, here in, I don't know, do you guys have big daddy cookies out West? Yep. You do. Huh? Okay. Yeah. They're freaking yeah. awesome. Yep. Like those are, yeah. those are my go-to like corner store junk. You know, when I, when I hit a corner <laughs> store and I'm running low on stuff, it's like, Oh, big daddy, get in me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny. Like, uh, like one of my go-to things for just like anything is kind of like just the little street tacos with Nutella in it. But now since I have grind, I just put the grind in it. Oh, okay. So you like, like street yeah. tacos, you mean like a little bag of wraps type thing? Yeah, a little bag of wraps and I'll do like peanut butter and jam. Yep. I'll do, I'll do, you know, uh, Nutella and, um, and, uh, sesame snaps, crush up some sesame snaps okay. and Nutella yeah, and yeah. throw it in a wrap. I might have to try that and put it on my to-do list. Um, there you go. Yeah, I'm a big I'm big on maple syrup because I make my own, but uh, that's oh. a, it's like my <laughs> my free. Uh, I think this year I made 23 liters of syrup. So I mean, it's a it's a free energy source that's pretty damn good as it is. So yeah, I started I started using some of the the, the new maple products that are there's that a lot are, out I there. Used, yeah, yeah, I used I used some on. Um, on the BC Epic last year in okay. August. And it was like, oh, just missing the pancake. Yeah. You yeah. know, what's interesting though. It's, it's funny how it all comes back, right? Like, I mean, for, yeah. for years, if you wanted energy gel, not, I'm not to name companies, but whatever. Goo was one big one mm-hmm. I used to use a lot when I did triathlon and, you know, and they were good because I think they were, I forget, I don't know all the technical stuff about them, but it wasn't yeah. such high intensity sugar, but it was more of like a slow release. And, but at the same time, it's like everything now is like people are like, oh, yeah, like, why not just have energy packs with uh, organic honey that has some sea salt in it and whatever or maple syrup and sea salt. And, you know, it's coming yeah. come back all the way around, you know? Yeah. Well, as you get into endurance sports and you go with all that high tech food, right, it's just you do that for, you know, it's it's fine if it's something that's like a six hour event, but you start doing it for, you know three days or yeah. four days right it's hard on your it's hard on your gut it's hard on your mm-hmm. gums right your yeah. your gums get so sensitive so i mean you have to start mm-hmm. consuming other types of things but it's true we're coming full circle yeah. on but i think on in the end in the more. end whole, real food is is where it's at but i mean you can only carry yeah. so much real food at a time and 
Um, you know, I'm, I'm supported by race day fuel who distributes a bunch of companies. And recently I used yep. their scratch. I don't even know what it's called. Um, but it was like the carb replacement, you know, I know Megan yep. Hackenden uses a carb, carb replacement from her response P2P yep. and, uh, yep. really surprised, man. Like that, that stuff, I'm sure any company it's really great. Yeah. Like it didn't, it didn't affect my gut at all. I was able to like just ride and, until the chafing got me. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I was, I was great, you know, like as far yeah. as my gut issues, it was butt issues, but not the gut issues, you know? Yeah. And I, last year I also with grind, I also doubled it up with, um, uh, Martine, um, which is a carb replacement. It's, okay. uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, very syrupy once you mix it up and uh you can get it caffeinated or non-caffeinated and of course i went with caffeine but like what one water bottle a bottle is like i want to say it's like 300 grams of carbs and and it it goes down pretty well so you just sip that a little bit and then sip some water and just keep fueling like that and uh and it, it keeps you fueled up so Cool. And that's some of the other the other videos that I did was just uh, you know race coverage when I go out and go do some races. So, oh yeah, oh like race coverage, like your own kind of recap of the events type thing. No, no. So um, going off and doing the BC Epic, uh, it would just be you know my perspective of of me racing, right? Mm-hmm. So I've done some like that. Uh, cool. I've had some good time. Um, I've done some bike packing races that were never photographed or videoed. And then there were some that I did. And, and unfortunately on the, the ones that I videoed, I had a DNF. Um, oh which, no. Which, yeah. Um, one of them, um, uh, was actually last spring. I did the BC Epic in the traditional format, like from the, from the grand depart and going yeah. east eastwards. And I did 465 K in one push in 36 hours and I blew a toenail. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. So I, I basically, I, I had this black toenail that was starting to come off. So it was just like, you know, I yeah. still have, I still have like 600 K to go. I'm just, I'm done. So I packed it in and I kind of healed the toe up enough that by August I was able to do another, another go at it. And I did it from, I did it westward, which is slower, but in my mind, it's actually the best way to do that route. It's a lot more fun doing okay. it west. Um, I enjoy doing it west. I thought and, the, um, um, I thought the BC Epic, I thought they switched a direction every year for the Grand Depart. Do they not? Or no. is it? No. Okay. No, it's always out of merit. Um, okay. You can you can race it at any any direction yep. or at any time. Um, there is a westward uh, a component to it. Uh, you do leave technically at the same time, but because of a time difference, it's actually an hour difference on your watch. Oh no way! Okay, yeah. But in real life, you're actually leaving at the same time. <laughs> Okay, got it. Yeah, I didn't realize yeah. that. Um, so one of them is in Alberta time zone. Uh, yeah. So when you're in the Kootenays, there's a time zone switch in the Kootenays. So in in eastern oh. uh, BC, there's a time time zone switch. Okay, I thought the I thought it just I just assumed it switched at the border, but I had no idea. No. Okay. No, no. There's a spot in the Kootenays where it actually switches in there. So. Oh, cool to know. And um, so I also saw that your route, uh, the Cape. Caves and coves. Um, yep. You kind of have a season to it too, right? Is that just because before that is you're pretty much going to run into junky weather, and after that date you're going to run into? So it's the the opening is purely because of snow. Okay. 
right? And then the closing actually has to do with the campground at Mount Shone or at Shone um, Lake. That road into there and the and the provincial park gets closed um, at at a certain point in the year. Okay. So, so yeah, while it's September thirtieth or. Yeah. So, well, yeah, the day after. So Mm. while you could go in there later and bike in there, um, I, I can't legitimately promote that. Right. Right. So the park, the park is technically closed. So got it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, that's kind of why I have that end date there. And honestly, if you start pushing into September, you're going to get some shitty weather. Yeah, there's and, no two ways about it. And some of those high elevations, you God knows what could be up there, right? I've I've been on in here uh, like early September, and I've been snowed on, and then I've been in there in late September and have been battling 25 degree heat. So I mean, okay, it's it's a wild card, right? Yeah. Um, but that's that's the limiting factor on that. So as long as you get through Shone Provincial Park before it closes, technically that's cool, right? Hmm. Let's so, uh let's let's jump into gear. I was just looking at your videos and I see that you use do you do you actually use a hammock all the time or is it just the one video? Uh no, I love using a hammock. Do you do? Um, I just sold mine. I was so happy to get rid of it after having it sitting in a locker bucket for like 5 years. <laughs> like um so uh, my my old body just does not like sleeping on the ground. I don't have enough. a problem like it's um it, like I've got a plastic shoulder and I've with all of my chest injuries and that like it's just getting harder to sleep on the ground and okay. be comfortable uh, after especially after riding you ride for you know countless hours and then mm-hmm. you go lay down I don't mind the laying down it's the getting up that's the hard part um, but I started hammock camping um, kind of when I started bikepacking again I mean I, I've I hammocked a bit earlier, but I never had a proper camping hammock. And now with a camping hammock and, uh, you know, learning how to hang a, mm-hmm. a hammock properly. Right. Um, I get such a good sleep in my hammock. It's great. Um, but you know, there are some, there are some drawbacks to hammocks. Obviously you need to know how to hang it. You need mm-hmm. to have the trees, but you can be creative with, with that. I've hung in some pretty unusual spots, um, and then hammocks are actually naturally colder, so you That's do right. need an under quilt. Yeah. So as long as you have an under quilt, um, I don't use a sleeping bag. I use a, a down quilt, a minus seven quilt on top. Okay. Of me, and then a synthetic under quilt, and that's it. I'm I'm good to like down to freezing. Yeah. My problem in the hammock, and this is probably a good reason not to use a hammock, is I'm a stomach sleeper, and I I can sort oh. of sleep on my side. But on yeah. my back, man, like I always have the shittiest sleep and, and, and it, I mean, which is funny because I do some bike pack racing stuff and I usually end up in a emergency Vivi bag and I will lay there on my back and not move for hours, but I, also, I still have a miserable sleep. But I mean, when I use a hammock, I kind of want to have a good sleep. It's like using a tent, yeah. right? Um, I have to say that's, that's one thing is if you're a stomach sleeper, the hammock's not going to work for you at yeah. all. Yeah. So, so I, when I bought it, I used it a couple of times. I was like, this sucks. Like, <laughs> and then I never used it again. And finally this year uh, I was like, you know, I'm going to put it for sale and sold it. So. It's funny. And I, I did a, a hammock podcast with a group out East uh, oh, yeah? a couple months ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So had a good chat about silly hammock stories. <laughs> that's awesome. 
Um, yeah. Awesome. I don't know what else to uh, to chat about unless you have some ideas. Yeah. I do like your logo. I, I, it took me a, real, a while to realize your logo was like a face upside down with also kind of, I have to zoom yeah. in on it again. Mount. Yeah, It's really so cool. It's, not, it's an upside down mountain. That's what it was. Yeah, it's, an up, it's a yeah. mountain upside down that makes your beard and everything. Yeah, yeah that's right. It's pretty yeah. epic. <laughs> who uh, who designed that? That's actually a guy from Ireland that designed it for me. So, well, I designed the logo because yeah. I'm a graphic designer. So I designed the logo mm. and then I had a, a guy in Ireland animate it for me. Oh, cool. So I told, I told him that I basically I wanted to, to, to be like you're riding along with your bike and the mountains would go by and the trees would go by and then everything would kind of like swirl together and and assemble itself into the logo and and would kind of you know i then introduced like the splashing water and then mm-hmm. the wink and and that kind of a thing so so yeah. we had fun with it so yeah it's very cool because no. i mean it's like oh it's so hard like so much skill necessary to animate things like that yeah i just didn't have the time it's like as you guys were talking uh on previous podcast about how you know when you it's easy if you have the time to learn how to do something so like with you as designing the website same thing right it just oh, yeah. takes time to yeah. learn how to do everything and yeah i could have learned but i didn't have the time it's just like i just wanted to get it animated so you know yeah yeah thank thanks to fiverr and <laughs> no that's right yeah how much did it cost you in the end uh i think it was like 90 bucks canadian that was it oh that's not bad at all oh that's no, a, that's awesome no. yeah i um yeah. Just before going to Turkey on the family vacation, I uh, I sent over a link to a trial version of my my new website that I'm slowly working mm-hmm. on and sent it to Gene Vilnev and he was yeah. like he's like dude this looks so good and he's like so yeah. I mean I mean it's still not like a pro website but I think it's definitely a step up you know but it's it's just a lot of did, work. Did you ever hop onto my old website that I had because that was all all done in. Um, in uh oh, i'm just having a brain fart right now um wordpress all done in wordpress oh, okay. a particular theme and um it was really really slick but as you had mentioned too like wordpress is is a fat cumbersome mm-hmm. you know coding it's it's it it needs to be stripped down but it worked really well i understood it yeah there's a lot of plugins and it's a pain yeah. in the butt but i mean i had a store i had everything it was it was all pretty cool but but really it was so much of a time suck that I just had to get rid of it. And um, I shut down my store too, because while I was making a little bit of sale for fun, um, just to kind of mm-hmm. get the name out there and the brand, the brand, if you want to call it that, out there, um, there's so many middlemen in the process that take 3% here and 3% yeah. there that to sell a, sh- a t-shirt at $45, I would see $3 in my pocket. I know the feeling. Yeah, I had, um, I have, I think it's still set up uh, for the moment. It's just, I'm always on the fence of whether I keep it going or not. You know, I was using yeah. Printful and it's, it was nice because it was simple. And But yeah. I mean, I make almost nothing. And it's like, well, who are you supporting? You're supporting Printful, you know, you're not supporting Bikepack <laughs> Adventures. You're, you're getting a yeah. cool shirt, but that's it yeah <laughs> and then every time money transactions happen right and someone takes uh, you know a percent and a half or a three yeah and right? then paypal gets a cut and or stri- yeah. stripe or whatever and yeah. yeah yeah and so i i shut it down because i didn't think it was fair to the people that were that were paying money mm-hmm. for a product that thought they were supporting the channel in doing so really there was no money 
coming to my way. So, I mean, I didn't feel that it was fair to, to raise a price at all because mm-hmm. it just got to the point where I wouldn't pay that much for a t-shirt. So yeah. no. And, uh, and, and I just kind of got out of that and, um, I went down and I stripped down to like a super simple website just to kind of have a landing page and, and, and that's it. And that's just done on my, my own internet providers, um, platform. I looked at using Webflow. I looked at some other oh, options yeah? and that, but, uh, yeah, Webflow is CCS based. So, I mean, every time you have a page technically you have to pay for that so you only have like there's a there's a, a pay scale there that i wasn't prepared to pay for yeah to have yeah definitely definitely there's a money thing involved in where like yeah. at least in wordpress you just pay for the plugins you want if you're going to use them beyond what's free right so. yeah exactly so yeah but, i'm at uh, i'm at the point i mean i, I definitely need the site uh canadian shield too once once i get the one done then i'll kind of work on the other one but it's you know yeah. it's a process um i might just incorporate yeah. them together i haven't decided yet i i purposefully didn't but at the same time it might just be just simplicity <laughs> caves and coves may have a separate website but for now it's just umbrellaed under mine so yeah. it, it for now it works um but uh, I also write for another website. I write for uh, Bike Gear Database. Oh, okay. Which is a cycling-centric yep. um, site that's based out of Victoria here. And, Are they out uh, of Victoria? And, yep. I had no idea. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, but we have a we have a team of writers and a, a of that are all over the world. So it's pretty cool. But uh, but uh, yeah, oh, that's so, wild. I mean. It's it's been pretty good uh, having fun with them and uh, and kind of doing my own thing and you know maybe one of these days I'll be semi retired. You have more time <laughs> on your hands, maybe. Um, yeah. Maybe. <laughs> have you ridden your full route start to start start to finish or? No, I've never had the time to yeah. do it, and that's the problem. I so I mean I've ridden everything. Um, I've almost ridden it in one shot but there were some you know some major changes that i wanted to do for connecting some things up so i haven't ridden it in its entirety in one you know fail swoop um i mean i know it's totally doable i know how much time it would take me to do it um i probably personally just to enjoy the ride i would budget 130 to 150k a day so 10 10 9 10 days i would do it yeah 9 10 days so i think minus your time bonuses so then it becomes like eight nine right no (laughs) (laughs) um so you know in in reality i i think pretty much anyone who wanted to do this who was a reasonably fit rider um would be able to take one week off work and with seven days plus two days on a week of one of the weekends right yeah you'd be you'd be able to knock this out yeah so somebody was asking me recently they're like do you think actually it was vincent nadon before he did the uh canadian shield 900 um when it was he was like do you think i can do the 1200 in four days and i said oh he first said three days i said no (laughs) i said no no (laughs) um i said there's way too much single track and rough gravel that no just no like he, i mean I, I don't know i mean i didn't really know him that well it's maybe as yeah. being an asshole to say no but it's like um you might want to do the 900 and it still took him almost four days yeah yeah so yeah it's i mean uh the chunkier route gets right like it doesn't have to be um 
significantly longer than something that has easier gravel, right? It's just all of a sudden, it's just so much more hard on, like harder on the body, especially when you get single track. That's, that's right. And, and these roads on the Island here have, have got a lot of nuggets on it that are just, they will beat you up in spots. And there's some climbs that are kind of false climbs where you don't realize how hard it is. There's some there's some stuff in here that I wanted to put in that I just I just had to not put it in because I'd kill people. Okay. <laughs> there's there's a there's a climb to um, an open pit mine that's at the top of a mountain and it's a three thousand foot climb. In in only like oh, it's like seven k, eight k. You get up there, you'd be so tired, you'd go to take a picture and fall in the open pit mine. <laughs> In the open room, right? yeah. So I mean, it's a gorgeous, it's a gorgeous view from up there. But I mean, just to do that would, again, it would just hurt. Yeah. <laughs> How long does it take you to get so, from uh, from Sydney, where you live, to to you, like the start of the race? Do you fly up or do you just drive? I don't even know. Well, I, I would I would drive. Drive. So I mean, yeah. So in in a nutshell, it would it takes you about from Victoria, if the traffic is not silly and backed up, um, it takes you about three hours to get to Campbell River. So it, it takes you about okay. about two and a half hours to get to Courtney, you know, mm-hmm. if there's no traffic, but Victoria is horrendous to get out of town on like a Friday afternoon. Oh, is it? Yeah. Doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Yeah, my it's, wife talked about moving to Victoria. I was like, oh, there's a really good bikepacking scene. We could do that. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the Definitely the bike. I mean, if you were to go anywhere, I would always suggest Courtney Comox because, oh, yeah? because your proximity within the island to go to a lot of really cool places. Mm. It's a little bit of a, a small town vibe. Um, real estate's not as crazy. but Yeah, we have friends that, uh, well, my wife has a friend that moved there, her boyfriend was i don't know but anyways they were yeah they went to, they i thought they were going to move to nanaimo and they went to, to comox or courtney i don't know which one yeah 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 we just kind of call it courtney comox because they're side by side right yeah yeah <laughs> um yeah so i mean that's that's the thing and then it's it's easy striking distance to go up to campbell river and be able to get into crown land and actually go bikepacking without uh-huh. you know having the the rigmarole of trying to figure out access and stuff right so yeah well, the and one good thing about being a French teacher is there are jobs everywhere. So it's uh, it's really on my wife and where she decides she wants to work. <laughs> <laughs> well, Vancouver Island is known for their private schools. So oh, yeah? there you go. Oh. I'm sure that. But, sure uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty happy in Chelsea. Chelsea's pretty awesome. I mean, I, I'm 15 minutes from downtown Ottawa and I'm three minutes from some epic biking trails just in the big park near my house, you know. Well, that's right. Yeah, because so, you got Gatineau right yeah, there. Yeah, the Gatineau right? Park. Yeah, it's three hundred and sixty-one yeah. square kilometers or something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, lots of good stuff up in that area. I've, I've, um, I've done some biking like uh, Mont Tremblant up that oh, way. Oh yeah, okay. Um, up uh, near, um, like, like kind of the, also up, up like the Mount Laurier area. I've done some stuff like uh, Mount um, Montagne Double Mountain. Yeah. 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 A little bit in there. Um, I've done, I did a bunch of, I went, when I worked with the Outdoor Canada magazine, I did a lot of AT, ATV riding, like uh, uh, out. Um, uh, we did most of that riding out like um, Torrevier out mm-hmm. that way. Yeah. Well, there's, um, there's just then, insane amounts of ATV and skidoo trails in Quebec. It's like, 
It's probably more yeah. trail than there are roads. Stuff, uh, <laughs> that's true. That's true. And then, uh, and then I went on another trip that was, um, I did some cycling up towards like, it was, um, Oh, like up near Alma in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was with some friends. It was just like, this is a long time ago. And, uh, and I mean, it was just, it was just road touring and, and some gravel roads and stuff. And it was just up and down basically that river valley oh, okay. up to the lake. Yeah. 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 What's the, what's the name of that lake up there? It's Charbot Lake. Um, are you no, talking it's... Ontario side? No, in Quebec. Oh, in Quebec. Uh, in Quebec. From? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of lakes. I guess that's like, um, yeah, there's a lot of lakes. Um, because I remember the town of Alma, and I guess that's oh, also. Oh, Alma. Um, I thought you said Almont. Um, no, no, Alma and. Oh, um, I don't know what lake. Saguenay. So. I guess that's the Saguenay. Oh, um, Lac Saint Jean. Right? Is that mm, it? Okay. Yeah, the big lake. It's like 300 um, kilometers to circumnavigate yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, I think it's Lac Saint Jean. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. And then. Yeah. And then while I was in Toronto, like I did a lot of stuff. I did a lot of hunting and a lot of cycling around like, uh, oh, like uh, Trent and like Enpoire and mm. Renfrew and that, that kind of area in there. Smith Falls did a lot of riding in there. And then a lot of stuff that's that's like, you know, north of Toronto and Peterborough and Quartha Lakes and, and that area. A lot of stuff up, up in there. Helbert and did a lot of riding up that way. Okay. Yeah. So, it's all great areas. Yeah. Well, you have to, uh, yeah. you know, when you're not busy making 6,000, 8,000 kilometer routes in uh, the West, you have to come East and uh, do some riding. I, I, I need to come down and ride and eat butter tarts. Yeah, man. There's a, it's good community around here. So I'm sure if you let people know right. and you announce that you're coming, there'll be lots and lots of places for you to stay along the way. We don't have to worry about any of the other yeah. things. That would be pretty cool. That would be pretty cool. Cool, man. Well, so. Robert, it was, uh, it was great talking to you. Um, yeah. Anything I missed yeah. that we, uh, we didn't chat about? nothing that i can think of um you know whole thing about bikepacking is just to get out there have fun and and you know make it make it your own yeah don't 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 worry about putting in big numbers don't worry about the hype just get out there and have fun be yourself and you know be safe really that's that's the whole the whole gist of it yeah Awesome. Keep on keeping on, man. Uh, keep making that content and uh, it's always cool stuff. And uh, I think you have like created a beautiful little brand and uh, it's really interesting and it's catchy. People, people, uh, people like that stuff. So <laughs> don't shave that Thank beard. You you'll be fucked if you shave the beard. <laughs> Trust me, that, that beard's not coming off. That's yeah. Oh, it's pretty awesome that's, to that's see the, the growth of it. And like since the, three years ago when you started your, your social media and, you well, know, it looked like a little I, Santa I Claus shaved. beard that like Tim Allen had. And then uh, all of a sudden it's like a proper beard. <laughs> well, it's kind of funny because I shave about six inches to eight inches off a year. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What I don't like about it is it's starting to go thin. <laughs> uh, yeah. I got a buddy who is. Um, yeah. He still has, you know, his hair on his head hasn't changed at all, but his beard is just white. And it's like it's, it's pretty. Yeah. It's pretty epic. My 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 hair's break and fall out so my beard gets a little bit thin at times so maybe it's just you know summer and winter beard i don't know oh it could be maybe you're shedding <laughs> <laughs> i'm shedding awesome yeah. well good chatting man um yeah hopefully yeah. if i make it out west next summer and you're around uh we can meet and get oh, yeah. out for a ride and uh 
I mean, it's definitely, it's probably a, like less than 50% chance we actually go, but well, maybe it's 50. I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. One never knows. Yeah. Doors always open, man. Doors cool, man. always open. Appreciate it. Talk soon yeah, and uh, keep right. on pedaling. Yeah. You too. All right. Later. Bye. Bye. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me and keep me going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have questions or comments, you can email me at bike at bikepackadventures.ca or go to bikepackadventures.ca and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, bikepacking routes throughout Canada, blog posts, videos, and touring tips. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you are enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash bikepackadventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, help me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on pedaling.